WATD presents John Paul, the car doctor. All things automotive. Have questions? Call 781-837-4900. Now, here's John Paul, the car doctor. And good Sunday morning, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Car Doctor Program on... On what I forgot where we are, 95.9 WATD. Of course, I didn't forget where we are. But I do have to take out my little cheat sheet, you know, just to always make sure I get the phone numbers right and all of that sort of stuff. And if not, uh, the executive producer of the Car Doctor program, Jesse, yells at me if I do things wrong. So, That's right. Yeah. You know, executive producer yeah, slash yeah. meteorologist. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, you know, he does that, does that for me. Um, we are supposed to be talking to Richard Prince today. He is the author of. Um, Corvette, 70 years, the one and only, and hopefully he'll be calling in, or we're going to be calling him, or whatever whatever that is. Uh, one of the things that came up in the news a couple of times today, I mean, this week was, you know, all of the floods and hurricane damage down south, will those cars end up in people's hands? And historically, they always do. Um, you know, talking to the people at Carfax in the past, about 40% of those cars that were totaled due to flood damage sort of end up back in the hands of consumers and car dealers. And some of them are very often when that happens that uh, sometimes they don't even know it. So it always is a problem. I think what there's on the phone now is Richard Prince, the author of Corvette, 70 Years One and Only. Richard, good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Well, certainly. Uh, you know, first off, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself before you tell us about the book. Who are you and what do you do? <laughs> well, um, I've had uh, a couple of past lives, but for the about the past 25 years, I've uh, made my living in the auto industry, uh, specifically writing about and photographing cars. Um, and under that umbrella... Uh, most of my work is for the car companies, and most of that is for General Motors, for Chevrolet and Cadillac, uh, both on the production side and racing. I do a lot of racing photography, all of the uh, Corvette program race photography and all of Cadillac's prototype racing photography. And um, in so you... the races, I continue to write car magazines and, uh, and books, like the so... one that so you have the you have the job everyone envies. <laughs> yes, I do, and I, I understand that, and I deeply appreciate um, the upside of what I do. It, it really is a fantastic way to make a living. It's got a lot of challenges. Uh, essentially, I'm a I'm a small business person, so I I don't get paid vacations, and uh, there's no golden parachute at the end, and no sick days, and no holidays. A, a lot of Time and effort is required, but on on the upside, um, I love what I do every single day. Even on the bad days, I still love what I do. There you go. And uh, one of the, one of the things uh, I'm surprised you joined us today at all because I saw a picture of you yesterday autographing books, and uh, you you looked like you looked like you had hundreds of books you needed to sign. <laughs> yeah, I had a long stretch on the road, 15 straight days, um, doing some. New car photo shoots, a Z06 uh, photography project for Chevrolet, and then Petit Le Mans, which is the final race of the IMSA season, and then um, Cadillac's got a new prototype coming for the 2023 season, and they're intensely testing that, so I had a few days of uh, test photography for Cadillac, and then a 
couple days of test photography for the new GT3R Z06 Corvette that's that's coming to uh, IMSA racing and uh, WEC racing around the world as well. So it was a, an intense couple of weeks, and I uh, came home, and my wife had prepared uh, a couple of stacks, or a few stacks of books um, for me to sign. So, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a an unusually busy time of the year. Normally, the, the auto industry starts to kind of taper down um, in November and especially into December, and certainly the race season uh, activity tapers down, but this year it's it's not tapering. <laughs> so, yeah, it's uh, been a super, super, super busy uh, few weeks. So uh, when you put this book together... Um what were you what were you thinking as far as like who would be the audience is it corvette enthusiasts automotive enthusiasts who who who's the who'd you write it for well uh, of course the the corvette fans the uh people who support corvette are the are the core audience um the the idea of the book was to try to capture in in the space available the full story of the of the car from its origins 70 years ago and then the, the whole evolution and uh, right up to the present with the, the fabulous mid-engine C8. So, of course, people who are interested in Corvettes to begin with are going to be um, most interested in the book, but I, I hope anybody who's interested in cars in general um, or, or even history in general would uh, find something of interest in there because the Corvette... Um, like other automotive icons, really transcends just mere transportation, and uh, it's got a, obviously a very long history. It is the 70th anniversary coming up, so um, the history of the car also encompasses the history of the, the past seven decades, the latter half of the 20th century, and um, the whole post-war consumerism, and uh, and so on. So it it ties in with pop culture and with the, the history of our country and, and the whole world, in a sense. So I, I hope that there's uh, enough information of interest uh, to anybody who's interested in cars and anybody who's interested in what's gone on in our world for the past seven decades. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, looking looking at the cars, and, and I'm going to ask you a question that's probably like trying to say, you know, who your favorite child is. From C1 <laughs> to C8, do you have a favorite? I do. I, I appreciate each generation for what it offers, and certainly the more recent generations offer the absolute best all-around um, package in terms of outright performance, efficiency, safety, comfort, convenience, reliability. Uh, but if I had to pick one generation, you're asking me to pick one. My personal favorite is the second generation, the C2, produced from 1963 to 67. And and that is certainly it's a stunning car, and especially the, the the split window cars, which everybody covets when they when if they can get a hold of one. It's uh, uh, even to the point where I guess there are companies now that can turn a non-split window into a split window to try to give it that same style and look. Um, you know, sort of when you look at Corvettes, sometimes the the C4 is a Corvette that some people go, eh, they, they were kind of too mass-produced, they made too many of them, they were out there for too long. Uh, but, uh, you know, I look at, I'm, I'm kind of the same way. I look at every one of these, and every one of them has their, I think, engineering uh, marks that you have. You had to look at it at the time and say, you know, that's some pretty phenomenal stuff to, um, 
you know, just popularity. And, you know, the, the C1... The C1 Corvette, the Corvette with a six-cylinder engine and a two-speed power glide transmission, it was it was still pretty hot stuff back when it was introduced. Yes, and you put the each, each generation in the context of its time and the performance for each generation was really uh, superb. But the single biggest factor, I think, when people cite a specific generation or or spread of years or a particular year that's their favorite is how it touched them emotionally and, and that's really what the the car hobby is all about. It's the way it pulls at our heartstrings and connects us to the past and to the people we love. And I know loads of people who grew up in a certain time frame and in the overall scheme of things, the cars were not the best performers. They may not have been the best in terms of uh, fit and finish and quality, but it was their generation. It's the car that they remember when they became of age, when they became more conscious about cars and saw their license ahead of them uh, just a few years away. They were 12, 13, 14, 15 years old, and now 76 or 77 or an 84 or an 85, the, the sort of the less collectible years are still the years that they focus on because those are the years that stir their emotions. They remember those years. Um, and that's the way it is for a lot of people. Others have a different reason. I grew up and became of age and became car conscious when the car industry was sort of in a, in a low spot when um, the intrusion of government requirements for emissions, uh, uh, noise reduction, fuel economy, safety standards was really taking a toll on performance. So the, the car companies were focusing all of their engineering and design resources on meeting these increasingly stringent mandates, and performance suffered as a result. So if you grew up in the 1970s and you were interested in high performance, most people tended to look back a decade to the 1960s when performance sort of peaked. And that was part of what drove me to really cite the, the earlier cars as my favorites, but uh, the styling was a, a big part of it for me also. I I saw uh, a mid-year, as they call them, a mid-year Corvette for the first time when I was a child, and that was it. I thought that was the most beautiful creation of man I'd ever seen, and <laughs> that's what really drove me to fall in love with it. Um, but, you know, everybody has their own reasons. Like I said, some people, it's the car they grew up with, it's the car that they knew because a neighbor or a relative or, or a parent had one or a sibling, and uh, others, it's the styling, the performance. Uh, but, yeah, each generation has, has something different to offer, and, again, within the context of when they were created, they were all superb performers. Yeah, I I think I think you're right. And one of the one of the things that I really love about the book is all of the design studies you have and the prototypes you have in there. It really does uh, it it really shows how the cars were being developed and some of the ideas behind it and how those ideas actually turned into reality whether it's um you know some of the some of the mid-engine ones and the gullwing doors, or whether it's whether it's sort of the Mako Shark variety that was uh, that was pretty interesting too. Yeah, design studies and engineering studies have been a, a very important force in Corvette development over the years. And uh, the more prominent cars, especially the ones that really led to the next generation car, like the Mako Shark, which was uh, a key development in the. C3 Corvette, those are well-known to enthusiasts and even to the general public, um, but there are loads 
and design concept cars that came and went that never saw the light of day. And uh, part of my goal was to try to, again, within within the constraints of the space that we we had, um, to tell the larger story and, and try to give people uh, a little bit of information and and a glimpse at some of the more interesting concepts that either did influence later production or that never saw the light of day and were pure fantasy and for one reason or another never entered in any way or influenced in any way the future production cars yeah and the the other part of it is that um like you said you a lot of what you do is um photograph racing you're at racetracks a lot and and the idea of you know watching corvettes racing at you know everything from the 24 hours of rolex to uh even more exotic races and the importance of racing i think you know some some car companies and general motors included at times sort of put racing on the back burner for a while but the corvette seems like it was always destined to be on a track somewhere yeah, it's, it's really impossible to underestimate the importance of racing to um, not only the evolution of Corvette, but to its very survival. When uh, Harley Earl conceived the idea that GM should build a sports car in uh, 1951 is when he got the idea. It uh, really um, got going in 1952 and ultimately resulted in, in the first Corvettes being built in 1953. It was a whole new world for General Motors. They were, at that time, uh, the largest car maker in the world by a wide margin. They owned more than half uh, the market share um, in America, and they dominated everywhere that cars were, were sold and driven all around the world. Um, so they were in the business of building millions and millions of cars per year for the masses and really knew nothing about building a specialty sports car for a relatively small group of enthusiasts. So there were uh, some missteps and, and some struggles in the very beginning. Um, there were, however, a few handful of people at GM who understood that to give this car personality and to give attraction and exposure, uh, so from a marketing perspective, it needed to go racing. And they also understood very well that um, to develop functionally and to uh, move the engineering ball up the field, uh, racing was the way to go as well. So um, guys like Zora Duntov uh, and Edward Cole, who was a brilliant engineer, later became um, general manager of Chevrolet and ultimately president of General Motors. these guys and a few others believed very, very passionately in racing, so they saw to it that Corvette uh, got out on the field and, and found its way starting um, really in 1955 with the installation of the V8, and then they took it to Daytona at the end of 55 and, and set some um, speed records on the sands of Daytona. And then 56 is when it really got going with a four-car Sebring effort. So from the very beginning, racing was was very important to Corvette. And um, over the entire evolution of the car, it's played a, a really important role in making the cars better. And not just Corvettes, a lot of the technologies uh, that were either developed entirely in the racing arena 
or that were accelerated in the racing arena found their way onto um, a lot of other cars that GM makes and other car and other car makers make as well. And uh, in the recent era, starting with the C5, um, Chevrolet and General Motors have been all in with factory Corvette race programs, and uh, it is quite apparent that their activities over the uh, last 25 or so years uh, racing the cars around the world um, in both sprint races and uh, even more importantly in endurance races, as you mentioned, the Rolex 24 at Daytona, the 24 hours of Le Mans, the 12 hours of Sebring, um, these have made the cars infinitely better in so many ways in terms of not just performance but safety as well. Um, the acceleration of uh, safety systems, advanced safety systems, uh, more effective uh, impact-absorbing materials and crush zones and safety cells around the passengers, it's uh, all been accelerated by their racing activity. So it's, it's been a, a really fantastic and fascinating part of the, of the car's history. Yeah, and even when maybe people could say that, you know, Corvette wasn't quite as exciting, then all of a sudden you get Reeves Callaway that comes in and uh, works with General Motors to build a, a Callaway edition, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's another fascinating part of, of the car's history. Uh, Corvette um, has uh, inspired people since its very beginning, customizers, uh, dreamers, car builders, to to take what Chevrolet created and make it their own, uh, improve performance dramatically, change the styling. You go back to the Barris Customs of the 50s, and all throughout the car's history, it, it's inspired people. Callaway, um, the Callaway Company, Reeves Callaway, have enjoyed a, a particularly intense relationship with Chevrolet that goes back to the C4 and the original B2K twin-turbo Callaways uh, in 1987, 88, 89. Um, so Callaway went from a very sophisticated, very high-end tuning company, and, and there have been a number of those, to producing the actual factory twin-turbo option package for Chevrolet. So they went a step further than all the other car companies, and um, because of their expertise and because of their prowess in in small-scale manufacturing, Chevrolet tapped into them, and they built what, at that time, were by far the highest-performing Corvettes ever made, and um, the twin-turbo Callaways ranked right up there with any supercar from Ferrari and Porsche and the other Lamborghini, the exotics of the time period. So it's a very interesting part of, of Corvette history, and I'm, I'm glad that we had uh, enough space that we could devote a little bit of um, a little bit of that to Callaway Engineering and uh, tell a little bit of their story. Speaking of engineering, uh, uh, Chevrolet even partnered with um, Mercury Marine to build a, a pretty hot engine for the time. And I, I believe it was a a um, thirty two valve engine, right? Yeah, that's another another really interesting uh, aspect of of the Corvette story uh, that goes back to the C four and leadership at Chevrolet. Um, so where the car was going, and again, racing played into that with the the Corvette Challenge program that uh, came of age in eighty seven, eighty eight, eighty nine. The the car 
performance was advancing. The technology had basically caught up with the uh, emissions and noise regulations and safety mandates and fuel consumption mandates coming from the government. The technology had caught up with that, and we were once again seeing unbelievable performance uh, come out of the car companies, uh, including Chevrolet. So there was... um, the question was raised, basically, at GM. Uh, we're building an unbelievable car for forty, $50,000. It ranks with, right up there with the best supercars in the world. What could we do if we increased our price point, if, if we had more money into the car? And, of course, we'd have to get more money for it. But what kind of a car could we produce? And that ultimately led to the creation of the C4ZR1. And uh, Lloyd Royce was a driving force. He was an engineer by background, but he was at that point an executive with GM. And uh, he sort of was the point man for getting a a completely new engine approved. And the challenge with that engine, which was called LT5, was getting the target horsepower and torque values out of it, at the same time getting the reliability they needed for a fully warrantied, fully saleable street engine. And it had to be uh, configured so that it could be installed into the car on the regular assembly line. And that was a huge challenge. And to meet all of those parameters, the engineering team, which was then under the leadership of Dave McClellan, um, they partnered with... uh, Mercury Marine, ultimately, to actually do the assembly of those engines. Um, Lotus Engineering, which was owned at that time by GM, played a very strong role in engineering, designing, developing the the 32 valve. It was a four-cam overhead valve, uh, 32-valve V8, and... Mercury Marine, it was it was a shock to most people when they learned that Chevrolet was going to rely on Mercury Marine to actually build those engines. And, and they didn't just assemble them. They did the, the castings, the cylinder case castings, and the cylinder head castings. And there seemed like a disconnect there between a, uh, a company that was known for outboard boat engines and this exotic... Uh, you know, uh, overhead cam V8 for Chevrolet, but it it was actually a perfect fit because Mercury Marine had developed intense expertise in doing very precise, fine castings in aluminum, large-scale castings in aluminum, and in machining those castings and assembling them. And they were a manufacturer, so they were building to scale, um, not to GM scale, they weren't building 300,000 engines a year or 20,000 engines a month, but they they could build engines into the hundreds and even into a few thousand per year. So they were set up for that scale of manufacturing, and they had the expertise. So it was a perfect fit, and, and those engines were fantastic. Uh, again, for the time period, the ZR1 brought Corvette to a level of performance that only a decade earlier, nobody nobody could envision. Nobody thought that would ever happen. Um, and it set the stage for what, what came later. Yeah, I remember being uh, being at a track and, and driving one and, and thinking what a crazy, phenomenal car it was. And you mentioned, you know, you mentioned that 
uh, you know, some of these cars, whether they were, you know, whether they're at 24-hour races or, or wherever they are, were competing with some of the uh, exotics. And today, the new C8 Corvette, certainly uh, from all the estimations I can to say, and I've only and I've only driven the car uh, a short period of time, and uh, for me, dollar for dollar, that is one of the best sports cars I've ever driven. Yeah, I would I would uh, agree with you, but, but but take it just one little step further and, and say it's not one of the best, but certainly on a dollar for dollar basis, on a value proposition basis, it is, in my opinion clearly the single best sports car produced in the world anywhere and uh, i would not take anything away uh, i respect all of the major manufacturers and even the the niche manufacturers who are doing unbelievable things uh these days with very very advanced design and manufacturing processes but you take the the new c8 uh, the base car not even the z06 take the base c8 and it compares favorably with anything Ferrari is making, anything Porsche is making, anything from Lamborghini or AMG or any of the other high-end manufacturers, and it is a fraction of the price. Um, you can't take anything away from a Ferrari or, or, or a McLaren or any of these cars, but the average person can only dream. The average working person does not have two or three or four or five hundred thousand dollars for a hobby and so it's something we can fantasize about most people but they, they know they'll never own one whereas the corvette yeah they're they're not inexpensive but relatively speaking your average middle class person can save and can buy one i mean the average middle class person in america can can, can buy a supercar and, and it's called corvette yeah. so from that perspective it is really the best car in the world in its class. Yeah, it, it's a phenomenal car. And can you can you still actually get a kind of a base model new Corvette for under seventy thousand dollars? You know, not counting COVID and yeah. all yeah, that the, nonsense. Uh, like with everything, every yeah. other car out yeah. there, uh, I'm, I'm trying to buy a new minivan and. My local dealer wanted ten thousand dollars over sticker for a minivan. So putting that aside, uh, yes, the base Corvette um, is is still the performance bargain yeah. of the yeah. century. Yeah, absolutely. Um, again, the, your your average person can stretch and save their money for a little while and buy one. And yeah. you, you can't say that about other other cars in that performance category yeah you're absolutely right well the book the book is corvette 70 years the one and only and certainly it's the complete story um of uh you know america's you know you you know you, you have it on the back cover the complete story of america's one and only sports car um it is available anywhere i would guess well <laughs> yes uh let me sort say of. um you know everybody Everybody who writes a book wants it to be liked and loved and popular, but um, sometimes you go through little spells where you have too much love, and uh, the publisher, um, the, the overall company is called Quarto Group, uh, and the imprint that 
publish the book is called Motorworks International. They are the largest publisher of transportation titles in the world and have been around for a long, long time. And, and they generally know their business, but uh, we all made a, uh, an underestimation in, in how well this book would sell. So uh, technically the release date is actually a few days away. It's October 18th. Mm-hmm. The books landed early, and um, they are sold out. Uh, the wow. entire first print has been sold. Now, that does not mean people can't still get it, because uh, the publisher sold every one of them. They're out of the warehouse now, but there are retailers that still have them in stock, um, and that includes me. If people want a signed copy, um, I don't have a lot left, but I do have some left, so they can buy them directly from me or from Barnes & Noble, Amazon, etc. Um, unfortunately, uh, there are probably going to be some people disappointed when Christmas rolls around. Christmas is obviously a, uh, a peak selling season for books. People like to give them as gifts, and um, a second printing is already underway, but it's uh, we're not sure if that second printing, if those books will reach the warehouse in time for Christmas. So, Well, the the title again is Corvette, 70 Years, the One and Only by Richard Prince. Richard, I want to thank you for taking some time out of your Sunday morning and joining us on the Car Doctor program on WATD. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Keep up the good work, please. All right. Take care now. We need to take a break and pay some bills. My name is John Paul. This is the Car Doctor Program, and you can give us a call at 781-837-4900, and we'll try to answer your car questions. Also, we have a couple of car reviews to talk about and a couple of questions that came up this week from our listeners. My name is John Paul. This is the Car Doctor Program. You're listening on 95.9 WATD, the South Shores radio station. Well, hey there. It's Chris from South Shore Buds in Marshfield. I don't know about you, but... I grew up pretty skeptical of anything cannabis-related. From the time I drank juice in a box to long after I drank wine from a box, I stayed away. I just said no. It wasn't until I met someone who answered all of my questions, and I had a lot of them, that I finally gave it a try. It didn't take long for me not just to become a fan, but to discover the potential benefits of cannabis. So if you're curious, if you've got questions like I did, stop by South Shore Buds. Or if you're an experienced consumer looking for a thoughtfully curated menu, stop by South Shore Buds. We'll help you find your happy place. We're at 985 Plain Street, just off Route 3 at exit 27 in Marshfield. Or check us out online where you can browse, place an order for pickup, or place an order for delivery at southshorebuds.com. That's southshorebuds.com. Always consume responsibly. AAA is with you at every moment in your life. They have 24-7 roadside assistance, which covers you in any car you're driving or riding in, even a rental or your friend's wheels. They have great member rates on home and auto insurance, savings on travel, hotels and car rentals, and discounts on hundreds of your favorite brands. You're covered on and off the road. Learn more at aaa.com slash join. Make an appointment Sunday morning at 11 for John Paul, the Car Doctor, on 95.9 WATD. Now, back to the Car Doctor. And welcome back to the Car Doctor program on 95.9 WATD. Uh, Our phone number is 781-837-4900. And uh, 
uh, a loyal member of the uh, Car Doctor family, Robert from Tingsboro. Robert, how are you? Good morning, John. Yeah, I'm glad to be able to speak to you again. Um, I was just sorry to read on one of the podcasts some damage to your uh, Florida property. Have you been there to assess uh, it I, ha- I haven't. I'm hoping to go there soon. The power just got turned on last yeah. night, I hope. Um, right. Power's been off. Yeah, I think it's totally destroyed. Oh, yeah. that's bad. Um, Sorry yeah, to hear that. I, yeah, it's um, and and you know just uh, um, you know just just because it's not covered by insurance, so yeah, yeah fantastic. Yeah, that, yeah. yeah, you found that out after the fact. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry yeah so that, but. yeah, so uh, fortunately, um, you know, fortunately, I have I have the little place I have to live. Not this was not the case for everybody who. Um, you know, I have a neighbor. She's lived there for, I don't know, twenty odd years, twenty five years. Her father lived there since I don't know the sixties, I think. And uh, she's she's after her father passed away, she moved, ended up selling her house and moving it to his. And um, you know, her house was completely like flattened, destroyed. So my house is still standing. Um, it has a lot of. I saw a video. Uh, the real estate agent that. Uh, we used when we bought it um she kind of reached out to me and asked if there was anything like she could do for me and i asked her if she could go take a look inside because no one had been able to get inside because the two people i left keys with uh both of their houses got pretty well destroyed they couldn't find the keys so um she she got there and and uh she did kind of a facetime live video and it was a little Cell service isn't great, but um, it is it is not pretty inside. It looks like in the the kind of screen room outside where we also have you know washer dryer and water heater and all that stuff. Uh, looks like it had probably three inches of water inside of it, and the uh, the the roof. I have had a carport had a carport um, that kind of went across both sides of the house, and um, that actually came off. And when it did, it um, uh, kind of exposed an under roof, so a lower level roof to the weather. Um, but it took, I, I think it took part of the that roof with it when it did. So uh, in the living room area, there was a, um, a hardwood floor and it actually in places it buckled up like a foot from getting wet so uh, so it's a me- so it's a mess so uh we're going to try to get down there uh you know to add to all of the fun uh my wife had a whole bunch of dental work done this week um and uh she's got to go back for a follow-up visit so we can't really do anything for another another week and then hopefully we'll get down there and be able to um shovel through it and if we can make it somewhat livable which is what we want to try to do Hopefully we can try to rebuild it somehow. Yeah, well, a lot of prayers and uh, sympathy will go out to you. Yeah. Also, uh, in addition to that, um, have you in the past or are you about to test the Ford Maverick? I've been trying to get one for quite a while. What happened was the Ford Maverick was available while I was in Florida last at the beginning of the year, and I kind of missed the rotation of it. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to see if they'll actually kind of schedule it back in for me at some point either here or somewhere but everyone 
I've talked to says it is, especially in the base model, which is the base model is a front-wheel drive hybrid. Everybody says it's a fantastic car. Uh, I do a, a about four or five times a year, uh, myself and this woman, Jamie Page Deaton, guest, do a guest appearance on a uh, national public radio station, well, network up in Maine. And uh, uh, we talked about the Maverick so much, the producer bought one. Yeah. And he, he, he loves it. He says it's the best car he's ever owned. It gets almost 50 miles to the gallon. It, it, it handles his little home improvement projects. And he, he, he said, you know, every time we do the show with him, he said, we need to talk about my Maverick. It's such a great car. So yeah, I agree. Yeah. I'll tell you what, I have my name on one. I have one reserved. That six-day window they had, my yep. uh, deal, he you know, got it in, so I'm not going for the base model. I'm going yep. just the other way, the, yep. the Lariat EcoBoost yep. and all that. Oh, yeah. Yep. But it could be a year before I see it. But. Yeah. No, you, you never know. And one of the things, one of the things about the um, – the Maverick is I I it was actually when I was in Florida and in I think it was probably May I walked by one and it was uh it, it had a sign on the side of the door it was an electrician and uh I, I and he was just coming out of a house doing some work and I stopped him and asked him what he thought about it and he said uh he said it's you know limited you know, ability to carry a lot of cargo, but he just goes, I'm an electrician. I don't carry anything. You know, I carry, I carry circuit breaker boxes and some, and some conduit and right. stuff like that. He, goes, he says, I don't, he says, I don't carry more than 500 pounds of stuff with me. And he said, the idea that it's uh, maneuverable, it's light, it gets good gas mileage. He said, he said, I haven't found anything wrong with it. He said, the only thing, and maybe it was just a quirk of the time. The only thing he said was in the base trim, the one option that he did, didn't come with it. Um, it didn't come with cruise control. And it he does goes, now. I kind I kind of like cruise control, but he said it, it didn't come with cruise control. But it's got everything else. And he goes, he goes, you know what? He said, he said, you know, I've made mistakes buying trucks and vans in the past. He said, I didn't make a mistake with this one. This one's been great so far. So yeah, they they made speed control standard on the twenty three model base yeah. truck. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I have to turn it in. <laughs> yeah. So other other than other than that, uh, you know, everybody says how how good a truck it is and again i haven't i haven't driven one more than around the block just to see what it felt like but it's uh, good to hear that though yeah yep no i haven't i haven't talked to anybody who said oh i shouldn't have bought this everybody said i should have bought two uh yeah some people have done that and then turn around and sell them (laughs) yeah yeah well that happens yeah okay john okay always great to hear from you thank you catch you later all right yep bye-bye and um i kind of i kind of owe an apology here too um last week you know i was talking about the damage down the house and you know how somebody walked away with a couple of propane tanks and i just kind of off the cuff said well you know i i hope i hope they blow up well i didn't mean the person to blow up i just didn't you know i don't want harm to come to anybody i just don't like people that's to that steal and in fact uh uh one of my neighbors up at the end of the street apparently had a generator stolen in the middle of the night. So um, don't steal from people. That's all. And be nice to people, I guess, is the thing to say. Um, let's talk to David from Hanover. David, good morning. 
Hey, John. I was just listening. To, I did listen to you last week about you saying the tanks. Uh, you wish they blew up, but uh, I, I knew that was just a figure of speech. It was. It was. It was. It was uh, yeah, I'm not. Yeah. I'm, I'm not. Yeah. But, but anyways, uh, the last gentleman you had on uh, before the last gentleman talked about the uh, Chevrolet General Motors engines, and I, I'm a historian, and I research. I've been writing a book now for 18 years on the complete history of the automobile and the pioneers. It's more about the pioneers, but it might interest you that the, the automobiles and the EMT cars were actually started by since in Grand Rapids, Michigan, which made one-cylinder engines for boats. And Walter Maher, that helped build the first Buick, he made boat engines too. And when he met David Buick, he talked him into uh, helping him build the automobile, the first Buick. And then you got uh, Alexander Winton in Cleveland that started building uh, big, beautiful, powerful engines for the U.S. military after World War One. Now, the most amazing one was the Duesenberg brothers, which uh, Fred and Augie, I'm sure most people that listen to the show knows them. Um, When they stopped making the the Mason car, they moved up to Minnesota, Minneapolis, where the International Airport is. They rented a, a building, and they started building powerful engines. And I know you're not going to believe this, but you can go through the history books and read it. They had an order for two. 2,200 cubic inch boat engines to put in a racing boat on Lake Michigan. And when the race started, the guy that bought these two Duesenberg engines took off, and within seconds, he couldn't, you couldn't even see him. He was long gone. Wow. So the Duesenbergs actually, um, you know, carried on with Lee Chadwick, had started. Lee Chadwick built the Chadwick car in Philadelphia. And in 1980, he stopped and he got into racing, building, building, building racing engines. And he was the first one to actually uh, have fuel injection. And uh, they say that the Hemi today, the Dodge Hemi, is the design of Chadwick. But I can't back that up or, or anything. That's just what the history books say. Yeah. So. And so the Duesenberg brothers took over, and they brought it that much further. And then you had Harry Miller come along, and he outdid the Duesenbergs using their knowledge. And then you had Offenhauser. So for General Motors to, you know, all of a sudden discover and invent that uh, technology, is it, it's just a step further than what was brought by previous generations. And that's the uh, history that I research and I write. I write for the Antique Auto Club of America and the Vintage Motor Car Club of America. And if anybody's interested, including you, on October 19th, at, I believe it's 2.30, at the Hanover Council of Age on Center Street, I'll be giving a presentation on a lot of these early pioneers in the auto industry, which actually they pretty much relate to the automotive, the uh, the outboard uh, motors and inboard yeah. motors on boats. So, well, uh, you know, I uh, before we before we let you go, um, yeah. maybe David can put you back on hold and uh, get your contact information because it sounds like you'd be a great guest for the program to talk about a, a little bit more about automotive history <laughs> and the idea that um, yeah. you know Mercury Marine built that yeah. high performance engine for the Corvette. 
I guess is it, it's it's kind of what's what's old is new again. It sounds like it yes. started with started with the it started with the marine industry at the very beginning. So, well, Alexander Witten sold out his business of building these high performance engines for for the Navy to General Motors. Mm. So, yeah, yeah, and yeah. I, I mean, it's a, it's a fun world to just go back and uh, you know. I'll bring up Henry Ford if you give a second. Henry Go Ford ahead. was work, Henry Ford was working at the uh, at the Edison plant in Detroit, and he had open uh, use of all the machinery, the lathes, the grinders, and everything. And interestingly, he built his very first automobile. Uh, he he made his own uh, shafts for the engine. Yep. He used all scrap parts, milled them, laid them, and uh, he uh, got that car to run. But Charles King, I'm not sure if you ever heard of Charles King, he built the very first car in Michigan. And he also invented the ribbit gun, the, wait one second, I'm going to shut my vehicle off, the ribbit gun and the jackhammer. Wow. Uh, using, using air pressure. And he was in the kitchen with Henry Ford and Clara Ford guiding them after he gave them X amount of parts to build their first one-cylinder engine. Wow. So the, hist- the history is just unbelievable. Charles King went on to, to build the Northern car with Jonathan Maxwell. Jonathan Maxwell yeah. actually teamed up with Benjamin Briscoe that had taken over Buick and sold it to, to Wayne up in, in Flint, Michigan. And, he, and Benjamin Briscoe wanted to be in competition with Billy Durant that actually came from Boston. His grandfather came from from New Bedford and Dartmouth. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they were in competition. Yeah. And so Briscoe started U.S. Uh, Motors in competition for wow. General Motors, and he ended up failing. And the only car company that survived was the Maxwell, and Maxwell got taken over by Walter Chrysler and became the Chrysler car. Yeah. No, so, no, so it's just a, a, real interesting stuff, David. Stay, stay there. Let's see if Jesse can get your contact information okay, down. Yeah, because and, I got to go and see my yeah. son, grandson's hockey game. Yeah, there, there you go. <laughs> so that that's that's more fun anyway. But uh, that, and I think we need to take a break at the same time, don't we, Jesse? We do. All right, let's take that break. Our phone number is uh, 781-837-4900. My name is John Paul. This is the Car Doctor program. You're listening on ninety five nine WATD. We'll be right back. Plymouth County is a large area stretching from just south of Boston down to the Cape Cod Canal. I'm Alex Bazanson. Join me and my guests for countywide coverage, everything from the Mayflower Landing to the most recent town meetings, how national news affects us locally, and how things that happen in Plymouth County affects the rest of the South Shore. Tune in for All About Plymouth County, Tuesday nights at 7, here on 95.9 WATD. AAA is with you at every moment in your life. They have 24-7 roadside assistance, which covers you in any car you're driving or riding in, even a rental or your friend's wheels. They have great member rates on home and auto insurance, savings on travel, hotels and car rentals, and discounts on hundreds of your favorite brands. You're covered on and off the road. Learn more at aaa.com join. Don't miss out on the free Health and Lifestyle Expo created specifically for South Shore seniors. Join the 28th Annual Senior Celebration at Lombardo's in Randolph. 
Hear hits from J.D., Billy, and Ken, Boston's original oldies band. Take part in raffles, giveaways, health screenings, and educational seminars. Meet with dozens of vendors and learn about products and services designed for today's seniors. The 28th Annual Senior Celebration is free and open to the public Wednesday, October 12th from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. For more details, to exhibit or sponsor, visit SouthShoreSenior.com. Don't miss the Just Steph show every Monday night from 8 to 10 p.m. for fun guests and tips on living your best life every day. I'm bringing sexy back to Monday nights. Tomorrow night from 8 to 10 on 95.9 WATD. Make an appointment Sunday morning at 11 for John Paul, the car doctor on 95.9 WATD. Now back to the car doctor. And welcome back to the car doctor program. David sounds like a really interesting guy. He's an uh, automotive historian. Um, I just know some stuff. How about you, Jesse? Do you know, you know stuff, right? I know some stuff, I guess, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Uh, but I want to talk about a car that kind of got me around the last uh, couple weeks ago, actually, and it was the uh, newest Nissan Rogue. And I'll be honest, I've never been a fan of the Rogue. I thought it was okay. Um, my boss at work had one after I kind of recommended it to him. Uh, but I thought it was really nothing special. Fuel economy was kind of average at best. Ride quality was okay. The interior always seemed a bit behind the times. Well, it kind of really changed with this newest one. Uh, the engine is uh, really kind of unique. It is a tiny 1.5 liter three-cylinder uh, turbocharged engine. And I didn't realize it was a turbocharged engine i i took it i well i shouldn't say that i realized it was turbocharged engine i didn't realize it was a three-cylinder i opened up the hood and i was shocked when i counted three spark plugs um makes 201 horsepower makes about 31 miles per gallon on average a little higher on the highway uh nissan managed to provide some good fuel economy with decent performance the four-cylinder engine in my car for instance i think is like 176 horsepower um and it's uh, uh, a, a you know a thousand you know it's a it's a thousand cc's bigger and they did more horsepower better gas mileage and uh, less weight so um, it's also really smooth uh, power's pretty linear the turbos come on nice and even it isn't like it jumps to life which makes it which makes it really nice so that's good um, it's, it's it's all good so. Uh, the interior is well thought out, uh, wide support of front seats, rear seating. Uh, actually, even with me sitting in the front seat, I can sit in the back seat. I can't say that for a lot of cars. The in- interior quality is quite nice, and it has a good mixture of materials all through it. Uh, cargo capacity can hold up to 36 cubic feet with the second row in use and folded down almost 75 cubic feet. Uh, this was the top-of-the-line press car, so it was, uh, uh, you know, looks like they stole the interior out of an Infiniti. Um, I've become a I've become a fan of this car. I, I really liked it. So if you're looking, you know, if you were a little shy from uh, the Nissan Rogue in the past, take a look at it. Good stuff. So certainly worth looking at. The other kind of funny story in the news today was, or this past week or so, um, is the uh, shortage of blue ovals. Yeah, you know the thing that goes on the front of the car says uh, the blue oval is grappling with a shortage of blue ovals. So in other words, Ford, uh, Ford had to delay shipments of some vehicle in recent weeks because it ran out of badges that go on the front rear of the car. So you know the blue oval thing. Yeah, um, 
The uh, Wall Street Journal reported citing anonymous sources. Ford also ran low on nameplates that specify particular vehicle models, according to the report. And it's kind of funny. A lot of people with some model cars actually, uh, there's options to delete the nameplates off of them. So maybe Ford should have gone that way. Maybe they should have had a delete option, and they could have charged people extra not to have the name on the car. I don't know. In this case, there was no microchips involved, uh, simply another bizarre supply chain weirdness you know ford couldn't comment on the issue or the supplier the journal noted that ford has previously obtained vehicle badges from a company called tribar technologies you would think they could laser 3d print these things or something but anyway uh, uh the company uh had had to limit its output after accidentally discharging toxic chemicals into a nearby waterway chemical discharge prompted the uh, state to temporarily close a number of lakes and beaches, and that's what caused part of the problem of all this. Weird- the other, the other kind of interesting Ford story, I think, is um, down in Kentucky where they build Fords. Uh, the governor, Kentucky's governor, celebrated the upcoming redesign of the Super Duty pickup trucks. And if you listen to my podcast, uh, we talked, we we did a Chevy versus Ford podcast um so the same place if you go looking for this program in a in a day or so i usually post it uh but i had an interview with somebody from gm about their uh hd trucks i had somebody from ford about the super duty trucks and you can kind of hear a little comparisons but um Kentuckians have been building Ford trucks since the Model T, and we are thrilled this tradition is going to continue with the all-new Ford F-Series Super Duty, according to the governor. He says Ford uh, used the day to reveal an updated Super Duty at the Churchill Downs racetrack. It also announced plans to invest $700 million, that's million, dollars into the Kentucky truck plant and hire an additional 500 hourly workers to build the 2023 Super Duty. So I guess if you're looking for a job, go to Kentucky. The investment on, is on top of the $5.8 billion that Ford uh, partners SK Innovation are spending in Kentucky to build a 1,500-acre manufacturing campus called Blue Oval SK Battery Park. Hope they have blue ovals. Uh, the two battery plants are scheduled to open on the site about 50 miles south of Louisville in 2025. Um, so they called. Uh, so they changed. They changed it to, to the governor called it Kentucky. Uh, so Ford's roots run deep in Kentucky, and uh, they said they called it Kentucky, and they showed a picture of actually Kentucky fried chicken. So there you go. And if you're looking for a job in a prison uh, down in down in Atlanta, uh, you get a free electric vehicle as a recruitment and retention incentive. The DeKalb County Sheriff's Office is leasing a fleet of Chevy Bolt EVs from Jim Ellis Chevrolet for what it says is likely the only program of its kind nationwide. Employees at the county jail are eligible to get a car. So that's an interesting idea. Hey, that music in the background means it's time for us to go. Um, I want to thank our callers i want to thank our guests uh with the corvette book it was phenomenal he sounds like a great guy until next week make sure you wear your seatbelt drive safely uh be good to your car and if you see an emergency vehicle by the side of the road slow down or move over it saves lives talk to you all next week bye bye